What is really different at the end of the day from a Myers-Briggs or any of these other? What is the fundamental difference why everybody should be going to your assessments? The fundamental difference is that we offer a kind of numerical accuracy in the reporting of results that does allow for a kind of custom result from person to person. Myers-Briggs offers 16 types. Those 16 types also aren't grounded in any kind of scientific factor analysis. So it's a useful model and it's fun to play with. It's, it's, it's more fun, I think, than, than deeply rigorous. Hey guys, welcome back to the Brain and Brand Show. I'm Timothy Maurice, and today I'm excited to bring you a conversation about the science of personality. Machine learning technology and neuroscience breakthroughs are enabling us to go beyond personality assessments such as Myers-Briggs. And while these traditional tests offered promising insight and took us a long way, brain science is now taking us much deeper and breakthroughs such as the one I'm about to share will save many people heartache and pain. Imagine a future where you'll know early in life which creative career you're most suited and the type of person that makes the most sense to align for a business venture or even to date and marry. I speak to researcher Cameron Berg from Yale University about his groundbreaking personality project that attracted the interest of Yale's Crockett Neuroscience Lab and how he and his student peers from five continents and 15 countries hope to enable all of us to understand ourselves and those around us in order to live our optimal lives. You can go take the test now by going to www.thepersonalityproject.org. But before you go there, make sure you leave a comment about how much you're enjoying the show. And of course, leave a rating. And lastly, share this episode with someone you care about. Meet the man I'm calling the Mark Zuckerberg of brain science. Enjoy. Cameron Burke, welcome to the Brain and Brand Show. Thank you. Thank you, Timothy. Thanks for having me. You brought students together from five continents, 15 countries to study personality. Why? Personality, I think, is, is an extremely important topic for, for us to, to kind of get a sense of um, and, and maybe to understand why there was so much enthusiasm for so many students to, to have come together in the first place. When we're talking about personality, particularly in the way that we're researching it, we're looking, we're looking particularly at people's motivations, people's decision-making strategies. The essential idea is this, like, Given the same information, you could think of it as like the same menu at a restaurant. I think that that's, that's a useful analogy. People order different things. People make different choices. And the, the scientific question therein is why? Why on earth do people do this? And, and that's kind of been the, the, the guiding frame of, of our research. And, and a lot of kids have been really enthusiastic about pursuing this. Do you think it's something to do with Gen Z, Gen Z, your generation? you know, really sort of tired of the old personality boxes? Yes, certainly. Certainly that's part of it. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure from my experience and from the experience of, of students around my age that so much of what we're used to is like strange delineation of people into different categories, different boxes, test scores, individual numbers. And a lot of these pictures up to this point haven't given a great um how could we say a great characterization of who people really are? They're, they're oversimplifications. They don't capture the nuance and the complexity of individual personality. And when we get into talking about the model, I'd love to, I'd love to discuss why what we're doing is different and, and shows who people are uniquely while still preserving, you know, all of their, their individuality. Let's go back a little bit. Where are you from? Where did you grow up? I grew up in uh, Fairfield County in, in Connecticut and I've actually lived there my whole life. 
um, just as I was, I was getting ready to, to finally branch out and go somewhere else. Of course, COVID happened. So, you know, I'm back like many people my age in my, in my childhood room, though I've tried to redecorate it for, for my own sanity. Um, <laughs> That's exciting. What, what was it about your early studies in undergrad that inspired you? Or how did you stumble on this insight in this research to begin with? Yeah. Um, so I'm a cognitive science major. I'm pursuing a, a bachelor of science in, in that field. And cognitive science very generally is this kind of interdisciplinary field of studies, all interested in cognition, in the mind, in the brain. So there's neuroscience, economics, uh, computer science, philosophy, all of these things tie into cognitive science. And for me, I've always been about looking at parallels across disciplines. I'm, I'm, I'm a big believer in, in looking at things from kind of that meta perspective, not looking necessarily within any discipline. All disciplines, I think, kind of have similar insights. There, there are really interesting convergences and cognitive science allowed me to, to kind of pursue that. And in cognitive science in particular, I was, I have always been really, really interested in decision making and why people do what they do, why they're motivated to, to, to do that. And trying to just make sense of this. So through my classes, particularly through understandings of the big five personality model, um, through a lot of neuroeconomics work, um, we've just been working on trying to develop some kind of model that characterizes why some people prioritize some things and other people prioritize others. And all told, it's, it's a fairly straightforward model. It's, 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 it, I'm sure we're going to talk about it in a little bit. Its ingredients are, are, are um, pretty, pretty familiar, I would say. Um, but I think that the, the way that we've organized our work, the way that, that we've, we've put together this, this model of personality is very different for, for a number of reasons. Again, that I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about at some point. Um, and it just kind of materialized fairly naturally. I mean, a quick story I could share is that infamous cognitive, or excuse me, computer science class called CS50. Um, it's taught conjointly at Harvard and Yale. And, in that course, um, there's a big kind of scary final project that everybody knows about. And in trying to make that final project, I knew, oh, man, I'm going to be spending some 20, 30 hours on this thing. I better make Wait, it. What about is something. this project? Yep. What is this project that everybody's freaked out about? Yeah. So 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 it's it's just a computer science course. It's at, at, on the face of it. This has very little to do with with the research that I'm talking about. Um, okay. But, but the point is basically I had this huge, huge project that I, that I, that I had to do. I knew that if I was going to do it, I wanted to do it about something at least I was interested in. And so in that moment, I took the opportunity to build basically a very simple personality assessment based on the model that, that we would end up studying later on. Um, and so this, you know, this took hours and hours and hours. And at the end of it, we had this nice, fun toy model that I was able to try out on all my friends and family. And we were able to, to talk about some of the dynamics therein. Um, perhaps we'll talk a bit more about the story of this research. But essentially, this little toy website that I had built for this final project in this computer science course got found by a, a number of researchers at Yale who were, who were excited to, to look at it and talk about it more. And kind of the research I took see. off from there. Yeah, so basically... In cognitive science, you're like the Mark Zuckerberg when he was at Harvard. He developed his little toy website that became Facebook. I love how what happens in at 2021 can end up changing the world. Let's talk a little bit about this toy website that you developed, you stumbled on. When this PhD researchers at the Crockett Neuroscience Lab was actually interested, were you surprised? What was it like? Because there's a serious human beings having serious 
conversations. And you're like, when that happened, what were you, 20 at the time? Yes. Yeah, yeah, I was 20. Um, yeah, no, it was, it, was a very, it was a very strange feeling. I can, I can definitely tell you that. Um, what had happened was I had put this, this kind of toy website that, that, that we were talking about on a number of um, flyers. I won't, get into, I won't get into the details of this. I was basically using it also with one of my friends with whom I, I co-founded uh, a student organization at Yale. And we were using it to essentially try to find people who would have different worldviews and basically get them to have conversations with each other. It's a bit of a different project. Um, but the point is, we basically had all these flyers out there around Yale's campus. And what happened was that one of these researchers from this lab stumbled upon the flyer, ended up taking the assessment, found that it was really cool. And then we, they, they invited me over to basically have a conversation about it, about the underlying psychology and neuroscience of it. And they were excited about it. And, and from there, they, they offered um, me for, for a few months to, to work in their lab over the summer, which, of course, I, I, I did remotely. Um, under under a fellowship that that I had been awarded from from Yale, and it it kind of just went from there. It was it was a really really pleasant surprise, and it's really nice to kind of you know make this this random thing that you think has some merit in what you're studying, and have you know pretty serious researchers be like, yeah, this is cool, we like this. You're and onto it was, something. It was great yeah. to work with them. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the technology and some of the data. Let's talk in a bit of the nuts and bolts of what you're doing. The best way I think of, of, of thinking about what we're doing is, um, and you know, I think, I think most people who are interested in this kind of thing should know that, that we have a bunch of free assessments that, that are up on our site. And if you want to play around with, with, with any of the, any of the things I'm about to describe, feel free to do so. It's, it's all, it's all up there. The way that, that our work functions is, is different from a lot of other personality work. And I think that that's part of the reason the, the, the data that, that we, kind of get on the other end seems to be fairly unprecedented in its predictive power of, of a number of self-reported traits. But here's the idea. It's, it's fairly straightforward. Individuals are basically given a prompt, a kind of scenario. Um, here's a very basic one that, that we use in the assessments. You are driving to grandma's house, let's say, and there are two choices of route that you could take. You could take the scenic route, which is going to take you probably four hours. It's really pretty, nice houses, rivers, lakes, what have you. Or you could take the highway. You know, the highway is as ugly as one would expect any highway to be. But hey, you'll get there in three hours. And so in a scenario like this, you see this kind of very simple trade-off. You can do, you know, faster, more efficient, but you don't really get the beauty element. Or you get the beauty element, but oh, it's going to take you some more time. And in these kinds of trade-offs, so long as kind of the model that, that underlies these trade-offs um, is based in science, is based in, in, in an understanding of human decision-making, then we can begin to see, if we give you a bunch of these scenarios over and over and over again, kind of patterns in the kinds of things that you choose to trade off. And if you do sure. that over and over and over again, you can get what, what we've been calling a hierarchy of values, where you say, you know, you care about this, you care about this, you care about this, but in what order do you care about these things? In what way do you prioritize these things? And by doing that, by having that kind of model, we're able to predict a lot of really, really interesting traits about people on an individual to individual basis. And it's been really cool to try to take that understanding. And, you know, instead of, although I do appreciate the, the, the Mark Zuckerberg comparison, instead of using it to gain ad revenue or make as much money as we possibly can, how can we use this kind of powerful tool to really do good in the world, to connect people, to make sure that, that, that we're using this kind of information to make a positive difference in this kind of fairly dark time? I can imagine 
people like Daniel Kahneman, when he was your age, he must be like, you know, even have you had a chance to speak to him? No, no, I'm, I'm a huge fan of thinking fast and slow. And it's taught in virtually every class I've taken. Um, but sure. no, I, I haven't met him personally. But you can imagine he and his, I think it's Amos Diversky, when they were researching around your age and really sort of when they got older, they didn't have any of this sort of technology that you guys are able to harness. And this is what really excites me. I want to talk a little bit about the technology that's matching these patterns, because it's not like you guys are sitting there putting all these patterns together. It's a bit of you and the technology. Tell us a little bit about it, because that's what interests me. It's like, okay, you've got all of these patterns of... You know, one person likes this color, one person likes that color, one person likes trees, one person likes the highway, whatever. Tell us a little bit about the machinery behind this that you're able to use. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating question. And so I would say that some of it is is indeed us. Um, so so basically, when people take our assessment, there are, there are seven numbers in terms of the, the machinery, the nuts and bolts that, that come out of this assessment. And those numbers help us figure out this kind of hierarchy that I was describing earlier. There's no real other technology that's involved in that kind of thing. And from that thing, we can infer, hmm, you might value, let's say, your social relationships, your social life more than what, whatever you call productivity, whatever you call your work. That's kind of thing one. Thing two, which is, which is really to your point, is that on top of these seven numbers, We've been using a lot of really cool and, and again, to your point, brand new machine learning techniques to basically say, okay, computer, take these numbers, figure out some kind of pattern, some kind of equation that you can build, that you can fit to these numbers to predict any of these variables. And so any of these variables include whether a person identifies as more masculine or more feminine, whether a person identifies as more liberal or more conservative, to what extent people will admit that they lie, you know, how frequently do they tell the truth, how dedicated are they to their work, um, a host of other variables, whether they prefer socialism or capitalism. It's a really wide-ranging set of traits that we're able to predict. And I should note that that while we're not able to predict these things perfectly, and it would be fairly scary if we were, um, we are, it does appear after we've done a fairly exhaustive literature review trying to find other research that's similar to this, we are able to predict these things at, at rates higher than anything that, that we've been able to find. And it's cool that, that we're able to do this across all of these traits when we compare them to studies that perhaps only pay attention to one of them. It's like, it seems as though our model wins across the board without really trying to win explicitly in any, in any domain. Um, yeah, very generally, the, the, the machine learning is, is really the, the coolest, newest technology. This stuff didn't really exist in the way that it does five years ago. And if you have the capacity or, or you've learned how to, to program and, and, and you're able to, to manipulate data in that way, there are huge, huge, huge amounts of potential for people of whatever age to really make a difference, to find interesting patterns in data and to use those patterns to, to help people. And I, I will say too that that's, that's one of the, that's one of the nicest and most interesting things about being with a team of young people is that I do think, to your point, young people are, are a bit chronically underestimated in today's day and age. That, that young people, you know, I don't think a 20-year-old now, you know, no offense to, to any of the older listeners, that a 20-year-old now is in the same position as a 20-year-old in, let's say, 1960 or 1980 or even 2000. Because we have access to an unprecedented wealth of information and technology and tools and resources, if you have time, if you're young, you don't have to be working, you know, 40 hours a week, 
and you're interested in particular kinds of ideas, you have the resources to really work on these things in a meaningful way. And I hope that, that the project that we're working on is, is, is an exemplification of that fact. But aren't you worried that someone is going to get boxed and labeled? Yes, yes, no, absolutely. And, and it's, this is a really important place to, to, to make a few kind of really, really necessary qualifications of this kind of work. I would say that, that if we picture kind of people at, at different levels of resolution, so we can say kind of who you are most generally, you're like the most basic silhouette of your character. And then we could go all the, we could go another step in. We could say who you are a bit more specifically than that and a bit more specifically and, and so on and so on until we're doing like moment to moment behaviors. We, what we've looked at and what we're attempting to capture and what, what I think we actually have captured fairly successfully are these really outermost kind of vaporous silhouette picture of, of, of a person. And, and this, it's really important to stress that, that this kind of model and this kind of research isn't deterministic. And it's not saying, okay, you got this result, then all you are in your life is this kind of thing. It, it's, that would technically be a misreading of, of our work and, and of our data. I don't think that what we aim to do, what we even, what we're even interested in doing are predicting the kinds of people that people are going to be in the long run, um, um, the kinds of decisions people are going to make all the time. It's not at that level, but it is, it is a really nice frame. It's a nice outline of, of a person's character. And I a hundred percent agree with you that there is always this issue in constraining people saying that this is who you are, no matter who you want to be. It's not how the personality stuff works, though. And people really do have agency to change their personalities, to, to become different people. I don't think that that kind of thing can happen overnight, to be honest with you, just like, you know, starting a diet or, or exercising. You know, if you want to do those things, you can do them, but it's going to take a little bit of effort. If people, you know, take our personality assessment, realize, hmm, this is saying that maybe I'm not as nice as I thought I was. You know, people can change that and, and people do change that all the time. It takes effort. It's not something that can happen overnight. But the fact that personality is plastic and that people can change and that what we're looking at are just, you know, let's say a snapshot in time of a person's character. I think that that it's okay to 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 tell people this, to to help them understand who they are in a particular moment with the understanding that people can change and that people people are flexible and that it could be through our research and through for example, taking our assessment that people realize, hmm, maybe I should change in this way or that way. And if we if we look at it in those terms, then this is a kind of thing where people can become more who they want to be, not become boxed in by some arbitrary label. Have you taken this test? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what did you What did you discover about yourself? <sighs> yeah, it's a it's a really good question, and it, it's it's obviously I have to I have to add the caveat that of course. If I've, if I've written all the questions and I know what leads to what, there are all these weird biases that, that I know that I'm going to bring to it, no matter what I pretend I'm, I'm, I'm doing. With that being said, I continually get results that tell me I need to devote more time to the important people in my life and to the relationships in my life. And I really, it's weird to, to, to build a tool and then use that tool on myself to kind of like, you know, beat me over the head a little bit and say, Hey, man, you know, you're spending too much time doing work. You're spending too much time, perhaps even taking classes or learning. Where's the, where's the social element? Where are the relationships? I will say, you know, I have plenty of friends. My family loves me. I'm not, I'm not a recluse sitting in my room. Um, but 
I think that, that, that it's a question of calibration of these things. And to what extent um, are we spending our time in the midst of other people and, and, and caring about the important relationships in our life? My assessment has told me, yeah, maybe that's something I need to work on a little bit. And it, it is something that I've, that I've tried to, albeit it's been pretty hard during, during COVID. One of the things I'm interested in in this whole thing is at what point should people be even remotely thinking about this? And where can we apply this in society where it has some real tangible benefit? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a wonderful question. Um, and, and, and yeah, it's, it's, it's often posed to us. It's like, yeah, real cool. Sounds interesting. But, you know, what's the implementation? What's the practical benefit? I mean, I would share first one project that, that, that we're working on that I think very, very straightforwardly addresses that question. Um, you know, I could also go the route of saying it's very nice to, for employers or for organizations to have an understanding of their employees, both for hiring purposes and to under, to make sure that people are working with, with the right people. For example, if you have people who are totally, totally differently oriented, maybe they shouldn't be, you know, like highly conjoined associates or something like this. That's, that's kind of interesting. And, and I think that that's a bit more obvious, but, but I think the much more interesting thing that we're doing is, is this project called meet and greet. And I'll just take a, a minute to, to describe this, this idea. And I think it's also a nice way of showing how what we're doing has a really good, um, um, there's, there's an element of doing good for the world that I think is, that is implicit in our work. And I, I'd like to just share, share this, this project that, that we've been working on. It works basically like this. You, we've, we've built a website and users can go on the website. They can make an account pretty easy. They can configure their Zoom account. They basically click a button and then magically their Zoom account is, is linked to the site. Okay. Pretty easy. They take our assessment. It's about 30 questions on, on this tool. Um, Again, they, they only really have to do this once. Okay, after this point, they can then go in and make what we're, what we're calling meetup requests where they can decide how similar or how different they'd like the person that they want to meet up with to be. So if they want to meet someone who's super similar to them, they can kind of slide the slider that way. If they want to meet someone totally different, they can slide it the other way. Um, after that, they tell us when they're free. Uh, we deal with all the time zone conversions. They click a button, they send in their meetup request. Of course, we have lots of people doing this. And within a day or so, people will be paired with a person who matches the, the, the profile that, that they wanted. So if you get two people who are similar and they wanted to meet someone similar, we'll send them an email matching them at a time that works best for both of them. We give them custom questions based on their particular personalities to kind of guide their conversation along. And it's as simple as that. Now, what we want to do with this tool is deploy it in uh, freshman classes of undergraduate populations around the world. The reason being, these kids haven't gotten a chance to meet each other during COVID. And, and we know that this kind of social element, meeting new people who are, who are similar to us, who are different from us, is a huge, huge part of everybody's college experience. It's been totally taken away by, by COVID. And we think that this tool, it's very straightforward, very simple, uses our personality our personality model as, as it's kind of underlying algorithm could connect entire undergraduate classes fairly simply. And we think that that kind of thing could really, really, really be valuable. And so we're, we're in the process right now of, of reaching out to a number of, of academic institutions around the world, um, basically pitching this, this tool to them. Cameron, isn't part of the magic of life is meeting people who are different when you were looking for someone similar and that becomes your best friend? 
Yeah. Like what, what value, what trade-offs are there? What's lost in this technology? Hmm. It's a really, really good question. I mean, we can speculate about it and, and, and I think that we should, but to be honest with you, you know, we haven't begun this kind of thing yet. And, and, and it will be interesting to see kind of what is gained. Certainly there will be, there will be students who, who form meaningful relationships, who, who might even find best friends on, on this, on this kind of platform. There might be people who say, yeah, it's, it's, it's become a bit more contrived. Maybe it feels a bit more artificial than, than spontaneously meeting people in person. And I'm very, I'm very receptive to, to, to that kind of idea and paying attention to that problem. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, you know, what, what goes on, what happens when you're sent a Zoom link and you're told the person that, that you're going to meet on the other end that you're going to have a, a conversation with is very, very similar to you or very, very different from you. You know, that's not something that, that we typically know. That's something we have to figure out when we're meeting someone in real time. Sure. You know, in, as we start to wrap up a couple things, a couple more things from my side, I, are you living in a utopian world, Cameron? Like, if Mark Zuckerberg calls you and gives you a billion so they can use this stuff, so they can actually enhance their algorithms, are you going to say no? <laughs> uh, it's a, it's a, listen, it's, it's a tricky question. That's a tricky question. I, I mean, you, you're putting a, you're, you're putting a billion dollars on, on this. Listen, I, I think that, that, our goal with this research, because we understand that it's powerful and it has to do with human well-being and it has to do with, 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 yeah, I, I think that you can just leave it there. When, when we're, when we're dealing with research about humans that can do good for humans, we need to make sure that it, that it in fact does. And, you know, I am human too. And if someone offers me a billion dollars for, for a pet project that I made in college, it's going to be pretty hard for me to say no. But, you know, sparing sparing a billion dollar offer from Mark Zuckerberg, you know, Mark Zuckerberg hasn't contacted me yet. Um, I really, really want to make sure. And, I, you know, I, I will say I will say I don't think that Mark Zuckerberg is 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 a villain. I don't think that he's he's an evil guy or people people like that are. I think that he was he was too naive going into the creation of a powerful tool. He thought that what was going to happen was that he was going to connect the world. And he did that. But there were also a series of hugely unintended consequences that came from connecting the world that Facebook did not anticipate. And I see this, you know, this isn't Facebook 2.0, but if we have a similarly powerful tool, we can kind of take, we can take what, what Mark did right and what Mark did wrong, and we can hopefully build from that. And the goal should not just be to try to monetize this research as fast as possible. It should be to take our time, slow down, figure out what's best for the most people and act accordingly. And I think if we do that, it's going to it's going to lead to to long term consequences that are best for everybody. My niece just had a baby. I saw the first photos on Facebook. Two things can be true, right? He can still be doing a lot of good, which he is, and there are problems, right? And I think that's the same with your with your research. I mean, I'm really excited about it. I'm also thinking about my entire journey across the world. I mean, I've been very fortunate to work just on about just about every continent. And these five continents you've shared have given me great delight. And as I've traveled, whether I've been in Japan or whatever, it's often me pushing through what I think I've been framed in personality tests that have helped me connect with other people. What is really different at the end of the day from a Myers-Briggs or any of these other assessments? If people really push hard with you and go, at the end of the day, they just kind of categorizing people. What's the big difference? 
Give me your 30-second elevator pitch. That what is the fundamental difference why everybody should be going to your assessments? The fundamental difference is that we offer, we offer a kind of numerical accuracy in, in the, the reporting of results that does allow for a kind of custom result from person to person. Myers-Briggs offers 16 types. Those 16 types also aren't grounded in any kind of scientific factor analysis. So it's a useful model and it's fun to play with. It's, it's, it's more fun, I think, than, than deeply rigorous. What we're offering is a kind of quantitative numerical model based on essentially how much, I would say, I would say, the, the major trade-offs that people encounter in their lives and to what precise extent people tend to opt for one trade-off over the other. It's not the same thing as Myers-Briggs because whereas they might have, let's say, 16 different possibilities, the, the numerical possibilities of, of the output of this assessment are essentially infinite because it's quantitative. It's not a bunch of different types. You are your own type. That's what personality assessments miss you are you and no one else is like you. And the result that you get from our assessment is like no one else's result. That's not the case with any other assessment that's ever existed. Take me five years down the line. What's next for you? I think it depends on, on, on where this kind of research goes. Um, and of course, of course, that's the case. But, you know, I think that pursuing this in a more formal setting, getting published research out there, demonstrating kind of the proof of concept of our model hopefully operationalizing this kind of thing in a way that can do good for people. I will say, you know, I'm, I'm all about books and learning and being a nerd and academia and all this. But one criticism I have of, of this kind of thing is that it's a lot of talk and not a lot of action. Often you get really smart people writing really interesting things and then they end up as words in books and like, that's good. And then other people can read it. And that's also great. But where does the pedal meet the metal? You know, where are we doing good for other people? And and that's something that that I'd need to make a decision about between you know pursuing the kind of PhD route versus versus you know something a bit more practical and hands on. And hopefully, there's a way to to kind of get both. You know, Cameron Burke, thank you for joining us on the Brain and Brand Show. Thank you for having me, Timothy. I really appreciate it. A huge thanks to Cameron Burke and his team and Yale University. Make sure you take the test at www.thepersonalityproject.org and let me know what you've discovered about yourself. I appreciate you making time to rate and comment on the show. Until next time.